Good day. This is another episode of 360 Performance, a podcast that's generated live every Friday at 11 a.m. Mountain Standard Time on a show called 360 Performance. Dr. Whiteman brings uh, a level of expertise and experience that is very practical based, and today is no exception. He's going to be interviewing Angus Monkford, the director of high performance for the Toronto Blue Jays. And we're talking about change. Now, change happens to everybody on a daily basis, moment by moment. But this particular change is related to our epidemic. The pandemic known as COVID has caused us to have to face dealing with change on things that we typically thought we could control. So without further ado, here is Dr. Whiteman and his guest, Angus Monkford. We are here today to talk about performance issues as we are every Friday at 11 o'clock. I'm more interested in my guest today, and I'll formally introduce him more, more appropriately in a minute, Angus Monkford. People and things you can't control, and yet you can still look for elements of influence that you can have. Maybe not controlling it, but influence, especially when the, the forces that are surrounding you literally take out of your hands the things you used to control, and that's COVID. We're going to talk about the pandemic. We're going to talk about its influence on elite performers and how it's altered their world. Now, I'm not saying that everybody that listens to the show is an elite performer, but what we're gonna share with you today are exemplars of what you can use and gain from their ability to fight through it, their ability to adjust and adapt and use it for yourself. That's the COVID influence on professional sports, mind and body. Now, as I say that, I wanna make sure that you remember that every Monday we have our mindset moment uh, this week, it was uh, Frederick Nietzsche uh, that was our quote, uh, and it goes like this. He who has a why to live for can bear with almost any how. It's like purpose and intent. That's the why. Having a why to strive for, to look forward to, you will be able to have almost any how. You can attack almost anything and anyone and move forward with an agenda that is clearly yours because of the definition you put around the whys. But as I say that, make sure you mask up, look for next week's Mindset Moment on every Monday, and we'll share with you more about uh, the wisdom of the world as we've, as, as we've seen it. But staying with our theme today, I want to make sure that we emphasize masking up. That is definitely in your control regardless of the impact of the pandemic. You can pick up a mask, you can put it on, you can protect yourself from others as well as you influencing others. Even though you may have had a vaccine, you want to make sure that you are constantly aware of where you're at, what you're doing, and what and who it might influence. So make good decisions about your presence. If you're vaccinated, that's great, but don't forget to wash your hands. Don't forget to cover your mouth. As your mom or granny used to say to you, if you're going to cough or sneeze, cover that thing up. Protect everybody around you. And make sure that you use good judgment on the distancing around you and the people that you uh, hang out with. We, we're getting better guidelines for that. So that's where you can create a vision of what is the best process for you to create healing within yourself or protecting those around you so that you can provide them with us some secure feelings about their environment. Because if we don't, we're going to continue to have those growth in numbers. We're going to continue to have, regretfully, the deaths of people. And, and if, you, if you don't have an example in your own community, just pick up and watch the news about what's happening around the world. 
it's real people it's not an imagination it's not a concoction so shifting away from some negative thoughts there to more positive place the all-star game is coming to denver uh it was moved from atlanta i'm not going to touch it i'm not going to go there we're not going to talk about why it's just a great game it's america's game it's coming to denver on july 13th july 12th is a home run derby july 12th on a tuesday is the all-star game right here in colorado it's a place to gather uh, and, and see the great game of baseball. And I believe we're going to have full capacity uh, access for the stadium. Right now we're at about getting close to 40, maybe tickle above 40% of capacity. It's somewhere around the 20,000 fan mark uh, at Coors Field. Um, I'm hoping it's going to be, I'm, I'm optimistic uh, that it'll be full capacity by July 12th and 13th. But that being said, there's some great stuff that's going to be surrounding that event. And that's with a colleague of mine and a gentleman I've worked with as a, as a professional athlete, who's now the president of the Players Alliance. You know, an 18-wheeler truck pulls into your neighborhood and starts unloading free baseball equipment for the kids in the community. You get kind of excited about that. Or when they pull up with the equipment, they also start dishing out food and PPE product to help your, your neighborhood and your community with protection against the pandemic and the, and the, the viruses. That's Curtis Granderson. And interestingly enough, Curtis Granderson played for the franchise that our guest works for, the Toronto Blue Jays, and has always been um, an advocate for the players as well as the advocate for his community. He's always out there working with youth, and it's very appropriate that he became the president of the MLB-funded um, group called the Players Alliance. It's um, getting, getting on to its first year of full operation. Um, the All-Star Game will be a launch moment for them they even though they've been around the country all later latter part of last year into the first of this year but the all-star game is going to be a real crescendo for them to demonstrate what they're capable of in, in bringing programs to those marginalized and and, and um, differentiated communities around the country uh, so pay attention to that we're going to be doing some great stuff here at 360 performance with our shows as we come closer and closer to july and 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 beginning with the, our end in mind so that we're grateful for those opportunities. So at this point, we're going to ask my, me, I'm going to ask myself and our guest about what we're grateful for. Well, I, I'm grateful for the opportunity of being around youth and young people. They, they motivate me, they keep me humble, and they challenge me, which I think keeps me young. So Angus Mumford is our guest today. He is the director of high, uh, of high performance for the Toronto Blue Jays. Um, I, I've, I've known him for a while. I, I cherish his opinion, and I wanted him today to talk about the influence of COVID on elite performers. But before we do that, tell our audience, uh, Angus, what, what are you grateful for today? Um, I think, well, gratitude is certainly a better thing we've learned from COVID, right, is that we, uh, the basics and perspective taking and what we maybe all took for granted before, but um, I'm really grateful for, for my kids. I, uh, you know, I, uh, one of the benefits of having a hybrid ability to work from home and, uh, or at the stadium or, or on the road um, is also being able to blend and balance time with family a bit better too. So I'm about to pick up my kids from school this afternoon and, and have a 
daddy play dates and, and uh, sleep over, so I'm super excited about that. Very appropriate. Beginning with the end in mind as a single dad. That's awesome stuff. Create the fun zone for the kids. And speaking of fun zones, after we do this wonderful show today live right here on a Friday, we're going to be posting this over the weekend to the podcast platforms that 360 Performance uh, participates in. We're going to be on Spotify, Apple, and Google. Uh, we're also going to be uh, asking you to get involved. Ask us questions. Go to 360mindset.com. Share your questions with me. Give me your comments. Uh, we're going to be active between now and July 13th. A lot of conversations will be had about the All-Star Game and the neighborhood involvement and community activities that will be happening in the Denver metro area. So make your plans. Take action. Listen to what we have to say to you. We're ho I'm hoping all of my guests will hope that what messages they deliver for you are ones that are beneficial in helping you be the best that you can be. And we always do it here at KUHS Denver. Every Friday we're streaming to you worldwide, bringing the messages of performance and performance enhancement to your uh, doorstep and your uh, teams, perhaps, or maybe your own locker, and just making it happen for you in the best way we can. That's 360 performance. So as I say that, we're going to bring uh, Angus in on a full screen basis. Oh my gosh, he got bigger. Just grew up right there in front of my, my face. Angus, it's, um, it's a pleasure to, to have you here with me. Uh, share with my audience your background wasn't always about sports specific. I mean, you're working for the, the Toronto Blue Jays now in, in a baseball performance capacity as their director, but you are a, a professional across the board. It really doesn't matter what sport, does it? That's a, that's a great point. Um, so I was very fortunate to get recruited by Mark Shapiro, uh, president and CEO of the Blue Jays. And, um, you know, when his time with Cleveland, they were looking to get any competitive advantage they could and that was looking outside of the game of baseball and so uh but i was lucky enough to, to spend the first 12 years of my career outside of my phd in uh, at img academy which is well, well you're an iman uh, exactly back as well. but an img is just a fascinating hotbed where it's probably best known for nick volatari and tennis and you know very Pogo and Agassi and, and their stories but actually has become just this massive playground for um, for youth sport, primarily across like um, uh, tennis, golf, basketball, baseball, um, you know, all these different um, uh, amazingly rich um, story traditions around coaching and development, but also evolved into um, you know, preparing NFL prospects for the combine, um, for a bunch of lottery, you know, first round picks uh, same thing for the NBA, getting preparing a segue from from um, college to the pros and MLB. And then I had a fascinating few years where we really dived deep with the military special operations community and around coach development and corporate executives and, and for all these different domains who are really trying to um, explore how they can improve and get better. Um, and so I was very lucky to be right place, right time, where we were, we were focusing a lot on how we could help across the board. And, and now it's, it's funny to be in one sport, you know, one team, <laughs> um, and the amazing breadth that there is even within just one organization. But, uh, but the cool part, I think, about my journey and story <coughs> is being the universal piece, you know, and, and even as a parent, I, oh, so I lose power. So, um, <laughs> 
Yeah, as a, even as a parent, like we're all performing, right, in our own way. And there's some universal truths of um, that, uh, you know, our mindset impacts, you know, and how we influence others, how we learn and grow, you know, and how we perform under pressure. Like those things are really actually pretty consistent and, and our context around that changes. You know, you, you've set up our discussion fairly well because of the, the broad nature of your experience. And, and I'm going to start us off by just saying, the, the, the pandemic, in a lot of ways, has just irritated me. Not that it's here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deal with it. We're all going to have to deal with it. But it's what it has caused me to deal with that's irritating. I have to be secluded in many regards early on. Now it's a little bit better. Uh, but my, my processes have been altered. That, you know, that step one, step two, step three, and any agenda I attack has been altered in some scope or sequence. And so that's, that's a bit irritating. And I can only imagine as we approached um, February and pitchers catchers reporting, you know, even the planning process of that, uh, we're gonna get into the, the football, you know, rookie season uh, with, their, with, their, with their training and stuff, that's gonna be altered from past years. So vets, the veterans' remarks about how to handle that in rookie conversations is not gonna be the same because they don't have that experience of having to deal with the COVID alteration of their preparation. So a as a coach to them, or as you as a coach to them, I get pissed off just by carelessly talking to them and how frustrating that is. So my, my first question, is there an increase in, in the, kind of that mood swing because COVID's restricting the old methods of how to get ready that, gosh, I'm just, I come in sullen. I'm, I'm walking with my shoulders slumped over when I walk in the locker room. I got a mask on now, too, by the way. <laughs> or I'm, I'm, I'm fingerprinting myself as I walk through three different doors before I can get actually to my locker. Um, all of that structural change has got to be irritating. Are you seeing a, a, a frustrated emotional change, almost depression, in the moods of athletes? It's a fair question. I have a couple of things. One, a mutual friend of ours, Trevor Moad, um, had a great expression that I do think about a lot, which is that uh, change is inevitable and growth is optional. So I think one of the fundamental things we're talking about is change, right? Yeah. Um, oh yeah. And and I actually think that a lot of people have been there is a little perspective that's added in here, right? Because I think that guys are actually grateful to be in the facility and they're grateful that games are happening. So like they know that the bar is, they could be home and remote and that's and that like that sucks. So in some respects, I think there is some gratitude actually that they're, that they're here. Um, it's a little bit nuanced for us because we have a beautiful like $100 million new facility. So like everyone is, extra excited to be in the facility and, and, um, and playing games. I think one thing that we learned going through that last, well, the last you know, 15 months, whatever it's been, um, is that everyone's story is different. Yeah. So I think while some people have been bored and have been diving into learning new stuff or, or you know, fishing or whatever, um, I think there is just as many people on the other side of the continuum that are in really bad states of mental health. You know, whether that's again talking general population, it's uh, unemployment, it's uh, drug and alcohol use, it's spousal domestic violence. Like, 
depression of a family member or sickness and, and treatment for COVID or other complications. Like everyone's situation is different. And so especially when you're dealing with a team or a group, it's being cognizant of that. Like not, it's not a universal experience. The universal source of the experience is the same, um, but everyone's the ability to manage that is different. So I'm not sure that I've, I've seen kind of like the, the stooping shoulders and the things you're talking about, but, but I think recognition that, that everyone's experience of the same thing is quite different. And so really trying to ask questions and, and see how people are doing, you know, and, and create a conversation. Well, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna tag on that last remark and, and, re and ask you about the frequency of, of your behaviors and, and have in that frequency increased perhaps, touching base, reaching out, being a bit more aware of uh, the nonverbal cues to see if it's supportive of uh, a mental health condition that I want to be more uh, uh, cognizant of and in, in watching their behavior. Uh, I know in, in football recently, you know, the voluntary uh, optional workouts, they went home. The player said, no, nah, you know, not going to do it. And some made excuses that the facilities and franchises weren't ready, weren't prepared well. I think that's all bunk because I, I've been around to some of those facilities and I've seen how well, like Kansas City, the Chicago Bears, the Denver Broncos. I mean, they have, I wasn't being facetious when I said like three different entry levels <laughs> of screening before you can even get in the practice facility. So they don't have a lot of excuses. Now in baseball, we have, it, yes, it's a team sport, but it's individual skills. So you come to the facility as an individual, you hang out in the, in the clubhouse as a team, you get on the field as an individual, and you, and you, you generate a result as a collection of the parts. So I, I'm, I'm trying to stay away from saying fully a team, and it is a team, don't get me wrong. I've, I played baseball up to, up to the college level, but at the pro level, boy, individual performance has become really critical. And so I'm wondering about what you said earlier and the interaction, you know, interacting with players so that they feed off of each other and they, they get a sense of, how's my teammate doing? Are we in need of pushing that a little farther and faster, regardless of the sport? But I'll use baseball as my metaphor, so that the, the individual parts are, are supporting good mental health, good strength of character, and, and moving that forward. Yeah, I think on a number of fronts, I think MLB has done a, a nice job, and, and I think generally you're seeing it across sports with bringing mental health to the conversation, you know, more directly. Yeah. And I think COVID's perhaps given an excuse to accelerate that a little bit. Like it should have been, <laughs> the fact that it has been taboo for so long, and you know, again, perhaps is a silver lining that people are more. Um, open to talking about it and saying it, it's it's an issue that does impact everybody, uh, partly because of the isolation and, and all the other stresses, the increased uncertainty, all of those things. So I think leagues and teams are being more progressive and coaches, I think managers are also recognizing that and actually initiating more discussion about it. I think that every team just probably has a different level of resource for it. So, um, and the resources are not just referrals, right? It's actually, it's in-house experts. It's, it's yeah. how open is a coach or manager really making it to talk about? Is it checking a box? 
or is it you know what efforts are they doing to really care you know and, and like you said about teammates you know asking about each other on the more individual level rather than just looking for their um you know free agency and, and all, all the rest of it. so i think we're certainly you know in our whole transition of the last six years of the our new um ownership and, and leadership um that we are looking as culture as our strategy and so you know it's been a really important piece of empowering our players to take ownership over that and that it's important and just as much from the staff viewpoint too so i think this is just the plus is that it's important um the challenge is the constraints right so when you talk about social distancing when you talk about wearing masks you know we talk about lack of physical touch and contact you know those are so important like with connection we are just having to work around that you know so maybe it is more about conversation and less of those kind of non-verbal pieces but like how do we stay connected even if we um can't be in contact as much or, or differently yeah and you, those are interesting you brought up what the pandemic has taken out of our control you know we i can control reaching out my hand hugging someone speaking so i can control all those things well now they've been altered <laughs> or taken away um so as we release as we release that a little bit because we've okay i've tested negative for it i'm wearing a mask I've, I've checked all the boxes to say oh i can go in the locker room take off my mask because everybody else there is vaccinated and we're good all right so we've got some changes but one of the one of the components in the cultural development of the sport and dealing with these kind of changes is coaches and the coaches mindset of have have you seen them alter their methods on practice routines preparation for game day so that they're maybe they're asking more questions maybe they're getting more verbal because uh, the science is the science you're going to you know you're going to test positive you're going to test positive it, it's pretty cut and dry but in, in moving moving it forward so that we don't Here's what I'm seeing. I'm sorry, I got to cut to the chase here and not try to make it too long. Is I'm seeing that even though we have the conversations, as a coach, I'm not getting the same performance. And I'm going, hold on, scratch my head, what the hell's going on here? And then I find out that there's a certain level of frustration or depression in that player, totally because of what's going on outside the clubhouse. Not the rhythm, the pace, the, the mental flow of things is not the same as it was before. So I'm wondering whether what the coach's role has been as far as, has it changed or been altered in any way in your estimation? You know, I'm, I'm not sure that there's been that much difference probably from any normal year, right? That some guys are dealing with their own demons, sounds extreme, but like different guys coming in off their off season, they've all had different experiences, right? Some may have had kids or yep. had death or you know or extreme circumstances so i think that that's probably somewhat normal that there's individual variants i think where the coaches are sometimes frustrated is are the constraints right the fact that they can't do there are new regulations in place they can't do the things that they maybe are used to be able to do but but i do think that there is a level of uh, again partly it's because they we're playing games <laughs> that's yeah. exciting um that is, uh, we know that we can't control some of those things, so we just get on with it. And we actually, I've been really excited and impressed to see the creativity 
of, of coaches and staff to find a way. You know, it's almost like become a new challenge. It's okay if we can't do this, how you know what can yeah. we do? So there is a, a more, I think, acceptance that we can can do things a different way and that we can benefit from that. Um, we've obviously had some increase. <laughs> we deal with a bit more change than uh, the rest of MLB. And that um, the Canadian border is closed. <laughs> so, so we've also, that's actually been a rally cry a little bit. You know, the fact that we can't play in our home stadium, the fact that we've had to adapt. We're playing in Florida for the first couple months of the season. And, you know, last year we were told about two days, I think, before the start of the season that we couldn't play in Canada. So I think that um, the players took that personally, you know, and, and that. Okay, so you know we are gonna have to do things differently, and, and let's do this together, right? Rather than those independent contractors you kind of mentioning before. Yeah. Increase the level of togetherness um, around that. So I think that's been that's been a net positive. But but I don't think it's it, uh, the the piece that you mentioned about players not responding. I don't think that's probably any different than we might see normally. Now, in, in football, there's been stories, in, in particular in Denver as well, of players opting out of, of their uh, voluntary practices, uh, the OTAs. Um, <clears throat> that being said, I have some of my players who, who will not, this will not affect them. They'll still work out on their own. They'll still do what they need to do like they've done every season. But there is a concern in football that the conditioning will not be up to par and they will have an increase in injuries uh, throughout the season when they start getting into the season. Have you, in the, in the brief amount of time we've been in season for baseball, has that been a, an out, outcome of, for baseball or is it not, is it pretty much the same as years past? No, 100% yes. Okay. So I think, yeah, we know, um, I think our team's done a really terrific job and, and as timing would have it, I think the foundation we've put in these last few years has really helped us probably minimize a lot of that that's damage. But I think league-wide, and as we look into draft right now, so it's probably even more exaggerated when we start to look at the high school and college level and trying to figure out what's happening there. Um, yeah, again, you're having buckets, different buckets of people, right? You're having the people who are doing nothing but conditioning and, and work and, and in great shape, the middle, and then there's people on the other end where whether it's they don't have access to resources or that they're just not using that time effectively for a number of different reasons, um, there's a big gap, you know, a big range. So when they do come in, and I think that's one, the downside, like I understand why the uh, Players Association wants to protect access and give autonomy to players makes a lot of sense. I think the downside is that it really does limit the staff of the organization to be able to help prepare. So, you know, the answer is like most of the time, usually somewhere in the middle, right? But I yeah. do feel that, and, and I'm glad that in the off season, the trust that we've generated with our major league players especially is that they want to come and train with us and so it's entirely voluntary and now we have a state-of-the-art facility where our goal was to have a, a facility 365 days a year that the players could choose to use if they want um, and so you know I, I don't take that lightly because there's a lot of trust involved there but I think we are going to see we already are seeing injuries um, at a higher rate than maybe normal that's because of this diverse use of the last year and 
the, the restricted number of games and things that were played last year and the workload impact of that. In, in, your, in your world there at, with, the, uh, with, Mont, with the Toronto Blue Jays, do you, do you measure um, a player's desire for certain aspects of their game or their preparation? Is, are there cognitive tools that you use to kind of, not guess, but get a, a, a trend towards certain um, characteristics and traits of thinking patterns? I mean, there's all kinds of psychology you and I both have studied about intangibles, the influence of intangibles, you know, when do they come up? What, which ones are have merit in the in the grand scheme of uh, algorithmic thinking uh, as it relates to performance? I mean, it's it's one thing to know how much they can bench press, but then another the next thing is how does that bench press manifest itself on the field of play? Uh, and where lies the, that's where it lies the intangible. So what what are the, what are we doing at the at the elite performance level to to give us a, a heads up that this player that came into the clubhouse, I need to pay attention to them because I've got this measurement that indicates I should. I know that we have, uh, there's not a test or, or a screening tool that, that we use. I think in baseball, the, the thing that is, really lends itself well to and is, is perhaps unique relative to a lot of the other major sports is the routine oriented nature of it. Mm -hmm. So 162 games, you know, in about 185 days is very high volume. <laughs> um, but it does, you know, we hang our kind of high performance framework around the concept of prepare, compete, recover. And so literally, you know, as players come in each day, they are going through their daily routines, whether that's their starting pitcher and they have, you know, five or seven day routine. Um, or they're a position player and potentially starting every day, you know, they do have a pattern of thoughts and actions that they go through on a daily basis and, and interactions too with our, you know, staff around that team, both at the major league level and at our affiliates. So within that, you know, we do talk a lot about routines. We do, you know, our mental coaches have helped script out, you know, some of the, the optimal thinking and also how to deal with failure, losses, you know, working through skills. So, so they've definitely um, laid out what that optimal day looks like. Um, and so, and they have checkpoints throughout the day where they're interacting with staff and certainly, you know, paying attention to how people are doing and, um, integrating that into you know the workload patterns that we're also trying to monitor too the goal being that players are are available and, and able to give their best on the field that day and will adjust around the edges you know and understand yeah. what what their needs are and have that conversation so i think that that's you somewhat unique to baseball and the way how structured that is yeah. on a daily basis but i think that's the practical way we do it well i, I see um that as routine across college sports but then it tends to be uh, a variable when it gets to pro. Not every franchise is as attentive to the journaling process, the, the identifying trends of behavior within a particular uh, criteria of a daily routine. Like in college, every, every weightlifting platform has an iPad attached to it in the major conferences. So they know that when a player's supposed to be lifting weights, they have a, document, a documentation of that because their agenda is sculpted right in that 
that thing. So they know when they touch it, they know when they finish it, they know what kind of measurement of success it was. Now that's not the intangibles I was talking about, but it definitely talks about the diligence of the behavior to consistently participate and be present uh, with that kind of stuff. And, and I know that in, in, in professional sports, there's the resources to do that, but not always the drive to, to document. Because they feel, well, next man up. If you haven't done it, get out, go away. <laughs> Bring the next man up. Um, and, 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 and hopefully you've done it. But it, it sounds like, the, I know that Cleveland too, your, your leader there, um, Mark, is, um, he comes from a program in Cleveland where they were one of the, the originals in mindset management, mental conditioning. Um, so that, that just would seem logical that, that Toronto would be part of that, that whole structure going forward with his, with his uh, visions. That's, this is a long way around for me to ask you this question about uh, the impact of, of any change, but in particular COVID. <clears throat> As we come out of this, are we learning enough about behavior that we should be pushing harder once it's a clean slate? Because we've, we've been limited, so we've seen what the limits are. We know what our potential is. So do you anticipate us pushing harder and faster? Because it, now it's, it's open. We're, you know, it, we're unfed, we're unferreted. I think, um, I have to redirect me if I'm interpreting right. I think one of the bigger things that probably isn't getting as much attention or airtime to for a lot of your listeners is the fact that you know, we have 25 players on the major league roster and a 40 man roster overall. But the reality is we have like 250 players, you know? And so there was a lot of our minor league system that didn't get to play at all. Yeah. And there were only limited spots that we can have in for camps, you know, in the end of the year. So, you know, one of our biggest challenges is, um, was actually the opportunity window, you know, for a lot of those minor league players. So there's definitely a sense of urgency that we are helping develop them and that we're not creating a, a gap you know a little bit further down the road and how creative we can be about training when we can't have people in the facility or, or to your point um you know what kind of mental training and, and preparation or reflections that we can utilize to accelerate learning so i think we've we've being creative around some of that, which has been really positive. And so as far as legacy of things to continue, it's making sure that we're continuing to be creative and, you know, we can't make up for a lot of the physical reps without hurting people. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, how can we be smarter um, and how can we help our coaches as well, um, you know, develop players, but I think especially as the ones that have missed out and, and not been able to play and get the reps. And the Major League at least have been able to play games um, and have had more, but um, but I think it's actually in the minor league side where we're, we've got some more. You, you mentioned the, the T word earlier, trust. Yeah. And with the comments you've just made about the drop off because of the conditions, with the lower levels, you know, from AAA all the way down into farm club uh, routines all over the all over the world. Actually, I mean, I, you know, your programs are not just domestic; they're international. Um, how, how do how does how does one maintain the trust with those players? Because the, the communication lines are not always as as uh, fluid and succinct as they are with the players up at the dance. In, you know, in the in the forty man roster, what what are some things that 
you've had to call upon to really make that trust factor still be felt, still be understood, and legitimized? Well, I think, well, it's actually a good question. I should be asking that more <laughs> from our mind leaguers to see how they actually feel. Um, you know, I think there's probably a couple of, uh, the, the basic one is reaching out, right? Like we did have, you know, point people that, you know, for each affiliate group, even though that they were remote all year, you know, they were they had people reaching out to them on like a weekly basis. Um, sometimes we gave them some space too, <laughs> rather than, than uh, inundating them with calls all the time as well. But uh, I think that was probably the most important basic one, which is reaching out. Um, but we also had, you know, online programs for them to follow, you know, ask for videos and yep. for guys who didn't have balls or, or basic equipment, you know, being able to ship that out to them. Um, uh, you know, so, so that was that was key. And I think, you know, another fundamental one was pay as well. So like for our minor leaguers, you know, MLB suspended all contracts and that included staff as well as players. And so we are very fortunate that our ownership was in a position where they were able to continue to pay with minimal disruption, um, both staff and, and players. And that went a long way for sure, because there were other organizations out there that weren't in a position they were able to do that. And a lot of people got furloughed. Um, you know, a lot of minor leaguers didn't get paid. So I think that is really important too. I know it's context specific, but it was really great to see the Rogers Corporation continue to invest and support everyone through that. Well, and that, you know, it's sometimes sad to think about it, but that's a competitive advantage where the organization is capable of financially and fiscally being responsible to all levels of the organization, um, puts them in a position down the road to outcompete others that can't. Now that's the capitalist recipe, right? It, it is what it is. And yet, in our world today, especially in the United States and other parts of the world as well, it's everybody gets a ribbon. Everybody gets a trophy. Well, that's not the mindset at the pro level. And as I say that, there, there's yet the, the feeling is the same. Whether you're nine years old or 90 as a competitor, you still feel a, a bit of a hurt that I'm not being paid attention to. And so I'm going to ask you a question that's the, that's the counterintuitive point to this, is that the player has a role in this. And that as a, as a monitoring of the, the behavior and the, the frequency of the behavior, those players who step up more frequently and ask for help might be the ones that are going to be the champion on the mound or the skill position uh, hero in a game. But interestingly enough, in kind of a twisted sort of way of getting a positive, you, you've got this monitoring device through a, a pandemic scenario of who are my real champions? Who are, and they may be unlikely recipients because they're the ones that have this, that intangible stick to to fight through it and constantly get on the phone and bug me all the time. And I'm, I'm wondering if you're, if you're seeing any of that happen because that would be a, a measure of your trust, that they trust you enough to keep bugging you that you're, they're, they're going to get a response. Are you getting some of that kind of feedback and stories of, of, of players from unlikely places stepping up? Yeah, it's interesting. One of the other silver linings to, to all this is because it's universal, I've been able to talk a lot with 
my counterparts across the world. So what is it like English Premier League or um, international rugby or all sorts of different um, domains and industries. One of the things that we've all noticed and, and mentioned, uh, especially for like the equivalent of minor league guys, is is also the autonomy, like the fact that and accountability, the fact that players have had to take ownership over themselves and what they're doing, like that, yes, we may be checking in, but they could just as easily be sitting on the couch, right? For um, for guys actually taking control of, of their career, of their program, and, you know, coming back in tremendous shape or, or asking those kind of questions, thinking about what they can be doing and reaching out to us for resources, like, yes like we've definitely seen that um and that's been really exciting to see the guys who've made gains um and i do think that sometimes in our efforts to make life easier <laughs> for players and so they don't have to think it's very easy to disempower them right and that they end up not maybe learning some of the skills or taking ownership in quite the same way so i know that there's a sweet spot between the two but i think um We've certainly seen and experienced some of that, and, and uh, it's been cool to hear a lot of other leagues and, and uh, sports have, have said something similar too. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad you brought that up because um, there is a pattern of behavior across all uh, professional sports that I've been identifying with. And I, I, I say all, but I, I have to say that I, I don't deal with uh, curling, so that, that's a professional sport I don't deal with. So it's not all professional sports, but I, I cover a number of them. This is a time when those who, who adapt to challenge well step up to the challenge. Being cognizant of that organizationally at all levels is really important. Again, back to the competitive advantage. So I'm wondering about the scouts and Major League Baseball, for that matter. Are, are they aware of these, these pockets of, of extraordinary diligence in staying firm and resolute <laughs> through the pandemic, especially the scouts? So that when they go into the field, when they're allowed to go back and watch college and high school baseball this summer, that they've learned from the experience of the pros that and the rookies from last season that they put into the system and how they dealt with it. So now that they're looking at these, these kids in a different way through a different window and filtering system, and Major League Baseball is messaging into communities in ways that, that promotes even more interest in baseball for different reasons than they've ever talked about before. There's so much unknown, um, but I, I do think those skills are important to recognize, right? And if understanding what players have been doing on their own, you know, what how they have adapted and shown abilities and that. Certainly for us, once we know we, you know, once we draft or acquire um, a young player, we know that they're going to have to adapt. The, the funny thing is, like they, they are the best of the best in their region or conference or college, whatever. But we know that they're going to fail at some point. Like even our best players who raced through our system, like you know, Kevin Biggio, Bobuchev, like Guerrero, like those guys went through their minor league careers probably as quickly as you can see a position player do it. Um, but they struggled. They had their you know, moments of really being tested in a way that they hadn't before. And so we're, we're seeing players' ability to adapt, seeing their ability to be self-aware, make changes, be open, 
manage constraints and frustration like those are all really relevant to the things that are going to happen throughout the minor league career um, so that you know we do want to know that we do want to see that our scout do you think the scouts are getting that feedback from either yourself or the coaches up at the league so that when they go in the field they're changing their filters a little bit asking different questions of mom and dad and and people that surround that young player for sure well our, our one of the major objectives we have as an organization is making sure that we're integrated right so that we're looking at the you know physical mental fundamentals of the player and how those relate to the scouting projection of what this player might become so i think like i think like most teams we're leveraging more experts into that scouting process and assessment process. So for sure, our, our scouts are looking at that, asking those questions. I think our ability to actually see it is probably the bigger challenge of actually having access to colleges, high schools, yep. especially the nature of the remote stuff. You know, our, our scouts weren't able to travel. They'd have to be creative with, uh, with some of that as well. And so, you know, the complexity of actually being able to observe behaviors when those are those kinds of behaviors are remote behind closed doors or you know at somebody's home is <laughs> way more challenging you know so if it wasn't challenging enough to get a, a yeah. compare apples to apples it's more complex now but maybe that's where some of the competitive advantage can be for teams i'm going to take a pause just for a minute but remind everybody that we're uh, here at 360 performance talking to angus monkford uh, director of high performance for the Toronto Blue Jays. We're talking about the influence of change, but in this case, the big change is COVID on the performance uh, capacity, capabilities, deliverability of elite elite athletes. In this case, we're using baseball as our metaphor to kind of make some maybe sweeping presumptions about all sports, but definitely talk from experience-based uh, input. So as I say that, I want to remind you that if you go to my website, 360mindset.com, you can get uh, a picture of your capabilities. What drives you? What is your desire? You can measure your capacity to be that outspoken, out front person, or you can measure the, the level of participation as a team leader by taking a, an assessment that I give to every one of my athletes mandatorily because I don't have the time to, to take weeks and weeks understanding where, where are you coming from? What drives you? What's your desire for stuff? I need to get measures right now. So go onto my site, 360mindset.com, and take a look at the RMP, the RMP uh, assessment. Take that. You'll find out some great measurements. Uh, that's part of the process, 360mindset.com. You're listening to the KUHS Denver every Friday at 11 o'clock. We're streaming to you all over, <clears throat> gosh sakes, all over the world. You know, true radio professionals would really know how to take care of this voice much better. But, you know, I'm not a true professional. I'm just a hack. So we'll just have to deal with it. As we, as we were talking, Angus, I was thinking about the all-star ballot. <clears throat> and it's going to be coming out, if it's not already out, in fans' hands <clears throat> to make a choice. Give me some of your insights about where fans should be looking at the Toronto Blue Jays roster and making all-star ballot picks. What are some names that What are some names that you would recommend they should look at? I'm going to be picking out individuals here because I think um, I mean we have all over all over the roster we have guys performing. I tell you one of the, the fun things um, to see is that I think when when anyone's having a slightly off day we have others others picking them up, up too. But um, 
yeah, no, we, we have uh, been rebuilding this group for, for quite some time. So it's been really fun to see some of our own intern, uh, internal talent from our minor league system, like I mentioned with Bo, Kevin, and yeah. Vladdy in particular has been uh, really fun to see, and Danny Jansen, our catcher, Alejandro Kirk, who's been uh, from Mexico, has made some amazing adjustments, and unfortunately is on the IL right now, but um, yeah, obviously with our, some of our new free agents, we're hoping that George Springer will be in action, and a lot of people have been waiting to see him uh, uh, light things up, but, but um but yeah, seeing Ryu and, and a lot of our other pitching staff. Let me, let me guide your thinking a little bit. So in the bullpen, <clears throat> when they're out there hanging around, feet are up, on a bucket of balls, just watching the game, you know, and you know, they, they, some of the guys bitch because somebody's having a great game and could go seven or eight innings. They're going, oh, crap, I'm going to be out here just sitting, drinking water? Can't, why can't he just get, like, go five and then I'll get to go in? That kind of thing. Who's got the best, the, who's the funniest guy in the bullpen? Who's the guy who always brings the laugh? Always brings the great story. Who's that? Who's that jokester guy in the bullpen? Man, I'm not sure we we have a, a pure jokester. We we do have a really good group. You know, it's funny. I know that we have one of the highest uh, lowest ERAs of, of any bullpen. Yes, in, you do. In, uh, baseball right now, which is great. But the the cool thing about that is that there's not a, a superstar, uh, a closer, or or a go-to guy in there. It's it genuinely is a it's a great group from the. Yeah, Ryan Barucki and, and Jordan Romano came up right All right, now system. you mentioned John's name, who, and that makes me wonder about who's got the loudest vocal cords in the bullpen. Like some great play happens, they're way out there in the fee outfield, and who's the one who's going to get up off the bench the first and, and start rattling the, the, the fence? Who's got the big rah-rah? Not to say, I, I think Dave Phelps has, has uh, some of the gravitas there, that, that uh, but he's actually pretty quiet, quiet spoken. But again, it's it's a it is a relatively quiet group back there. But they that's uh, amazing. That's a that's team. amazing bullpen decorum. Because I've <laughs> I've I've been around some bullpen. Yeah, I've spent enough time back there. See, uh, there you go. Another another thing to put on the list. Check out these intangibles. Who's got the biggest joke book? You know, who's the one who's always talking about somebody else but not themselves and should be busted on? All right, I, I joke a little bit to digress from a, a not so not such a serious thing, but uh, something that I wanted to to uh, broach with you about. You know, travel is a pain in the rear end regardless of COVID. But now we've got COVID in the play. What has changed with your the, the professional sports world, in particular baseball? in how they've modified their travel. Are you guys masking throughout the entire travel process? Or, or is it just in the airport? And break it down for me. What, what has travel changed? It's a, it's a fair question. I'm actually not with the travel party right now, too. So I transitioned out of the bubble at the end of Major League Spring Training uh, into our minor league spring training, which happened right right afterwards, too. So. You know, I haven't been through the through the airport with um, with the players. So that's something. That's a good, fair, very fair question. Are you a private yeah. private jet group or yeah? yeah. So typically, they'll go straight from the, the stadium and, and do their you know TSA check and and things. But um, we'll actually go straight out to the plane. So all of those pieces are relatively yeah. straightforward. We're also at a point where we're over the eighty five percent threshold for. MLB teams to, to be vaccinated too, so that certainly helped some of those restrictions yeah. and, and things of that nature too. But um, but yeah, so as far as I know, though, that uh, 
yeah, I mean, mask wearing is still part of it, just like you said at the beginning of the of the show too, right? Just because you're vaccinated doesn't mean that you stop, you know, some of the, the distancing and hand washing and the, the basic, you know, hygiene procedures too. But it, it certainly is a, is a little more relaxed now, which is great. So, so here's, here's where I'm going to segue because, okay, travel's one thing, kind of a bubble, got control of it. Uh, let's presume that that's the case with not only the Blue Jays but other pro teams. But then there's the family set at the at the away arena. You know, those are great moments. I've been in the family room talking to moms and grandmas and dads and grandpas and, you know, the whole deal. And that's a really cool thing. Has that been taken away? It's a combination. I think we are. Um, so we actually had the ability to help uh, players get a lot of their family members vaccinated too. And so there are protocols for family members as well. So I think, you know, we are seeing definitely people not living the full the full major league experience that they may typically have done um you know and, and it is hard on families it's a really crazy hard lifestyle as it is you know a lot of spouses and kids you know it's it's unbelievable the sacrifices and compromises and things they they go through too so and i think this this year is is more than any other normally as far as whether it's restricted time or more restricted uh, in terms of being able to go out to restaurants or live their life fully in the way that, that um, probably everyone wants to, yeah. um, but it's not realistic right now. And especially knowing state by state, those experiences are different too, right? Those restrictions are different. Well, you know, we're going to get ready for the, well, we are getting ready for the All-Star Game to come to Denver, and I've got more than just a casual um, participation in that. And one of the things that is coming up is what if? You know we're at this percentage capacity now but what if it's at full and it's it's very hard to make plans now for whatever the eventual inevitability is on game day um so one of the things i wanted to ask you about it regarding the, the future plans as it relates to what you do in preparing the mind body connection and making sure that both environment as well as the person in, involved in that environment interaction with others are you going to have there been has there been anything about the COVID and what it's caused you to think about that's going to stick with you that's going to be something that you're going to add to the processes going forward into the future even though we don't have we won't have thankfully won't have to wear masks you know maybe the worst case will be we'll get a booster on our shot will be the worst case scenario are, are you going to take something from this experience and and add it to the future processes for sure, and uh, it's probably hard for me to point a finger right now and say like what those things are. I think one of the factors that, I think there's a lot of Zoom fatigue, obviously we're here and <laughs> talk about that, but, uh, but I do think that the comfort and advantages of a lot of the video conferencing and, and meetings is hugely beneficial. So I think being able to be efficient with with travel or with presence um, is really good, uh, and so there's there's advantages of that that we'll we'll take forward to. And and again, I think some of this um, really being more thoughtful about impact. So as we as we have constraints, now we're having to think about okay, what are we really trying to achieve? Like if we only have this window, we're only allowed this number of people, we only have this. You know, window with a with a player what do we need to get done versus what would be nice to get done and i think having that kind of intentional purpose 
drive force us to be really creative around that I think is a really good process for us to keep where where have you seen personal as well as team discipline uh, improve as a result of COVID pressures I think when we're trying to arrive at those kind of decisions that I'm, I'm talking about where um, where it's if like if it's schedule mm-hmm. or if it's a player's workload or it's like who needs to get specific work done like the collaborative discussion and everyone's egos kind of being taken aside and saying okay like we know this is not ideal so what what is it that we really need to do like i think that that collaborative emphasis and task emphasis sometimes rather than letting the ego get involved too much has been refreshing um well that's it that's interesting i'm glad you said that in our final few minutes Give me what you would like to have our audience have as a takeaway from what we've what you've had to say today about what change does to you and and how we need to really be attentive to uh, change, especially in the, when we have a change like what the epidemic and pandemic has done to us. I think maybe maybe actually the way I started when, when I talked about our friend uh, Trevor Moad and um, I think it's a John C. Maxwell quote actually with the change is inevitable growth is optional like if there was one tagline or thing to take away from all of this i think it's that yeah like whether it's covid or something else like change is going to happen let's try to grow from that and rather than fighting against it or complaining about it or being a victim with them um what do you have control over um can we accept our reality but then commit to whatever of action we're trying to take whether that's also being kind to ourselves and building and investing in our relationships and patience and those things or it's being creative and finding a different way to achieve your goal but but i think that in its simplicity is is probably an important message well i want to thank uh, angus monford for his time a director of high performance for the toronto blue jays and also emphasizing and reinforcing everything he's just said about change, a very appropriate quote, that every time you you face change, identify it quickly so that you can apply the degree of who you are to that change and get the results that you prescribe for you. Have fun, everybody. Be well.